Hello, listeners. This is Abraham Lincoln, 16th President of the United States, and one of your two hosts of 15 Minutes with Lincoln, a political podcast that covers the week's political events. Typically, I have a co-host on this podcast, Timothy Robert Dunn, a common man here in Chicago. He provides kind of the modern millennial perspective, and I provide, you know, the mid-19th century perspective on today's events. However, due to the outbreak of the coronavirus, I have put us both under a strict quarantine. We will have no interaction with the outside world. Unfortunately, Timothy still has to work, so he's still going to the startup office where he cleans bathrooms uh, all night and sings um, musical numbers on request for folks and gets shot by paintball guns. I don't need to recap the whole thing. It's a pretty average millennial job. Nonetheless, uh, we are no longer in the same vicinity. That also has something to do with the disagreement we had about the level of cleanliness. I, I basically learned uh, what germs were a week ago, and boy, germs are everywhere. You can, you can, you you can't even see them. So I was trying to prepare. Timothy's apartment for this outbreak, and he thought I was being a bit excessive. I disagreed, obviously, uh, even though my hands were completely bone dry from being washed and scrubbing with various disinfectant wipes. And I think the final straw was when I came back from uh, the CVS after clearing out the entire shelf of Clorox disinfectant wipes that uh, he thought I was kind of getting carried away with this, even though his own mother, Denise Dunn, who works in public health, said that we should be stocking up on things just so we could be prepared for this. Nonetheless, so we are avoiding contact with one another to make sure that we don't, um, you know, expose each other to this virus, and we are uh, certainly not touching our face. That's the other thing you're not supposed to do. I don't understand that yet. Timothy hasn't really explained the science behind that. I've asked a few times, but um, he's just been... Uh, I think just a lot on his mind. He seems a little put out by um, by uh, by the whole thing. So anyway, it's just me this week, and I will be recapping a very eventful week in politics. As you may know, the main thing that's happening in the 2020 political uh, landscape right now is the 2020 presidential election, which is not for another like six months, but or, oh no, it's like eight months and uh, eight months. Good grief, but it's going to be all we talk about for here on out. Uh, like I've said in the past, we probably care about politics a little too much, but hey, it helps us in the content business, baby, as they say. So, here we are. The Democratic race is dominating the headlines, as the Republicans are sure to re-nominate their current president. We are down to really just two candidates, although Tulsi Gabbard is still in the race for some reason. I don't know. Uh, why or anything about her. Timothy tells me we're not allowed to take her seriously, uh, even though I'm always like, well, you know, I never, you know, count this out. But anyway, so I take his word for it. We're down to former Vice President Joe Biden and current U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders. Very different uh, candidates, uh, but both um, pretty much as old as I am. Just kidding. That's a little joke for you. Nonetheless, uh, we saw this week a lot of folks drop out. Um, Mayor Pete and Senator Amy Klobuchar uh, from Minnesota, Timothy's home state. In addition to, um, you know, a popular choice here in the podcast, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Senator from the state that I can never pronounce in the Northeast. And uh, don't don't get on my case for that, listeners. I, I just I can't. I do my best. I won that state twice uh, when I was running for president, but nonetheless. There were some people who thought she would stay in the race just in case that 
Senator Sanders and Vice President Biden failed to reach the number of delegates by the time the convention rolled around, and that way she could still be some sort of viable compromise choice. And I actually, personally, as Abraham Lincoln, really appreciated that path, because as you may not remember, the uh, uh, 1860 presidential convention that the Republican Party held in Chicago, Illinois, was uh, very much what you would have called a divided or split convention. Well, we didn't really have like caucuses and primaries or uh, you know anything like this back in the day, but we just built a huge building, and I wasn't there for it. I was still in Springfield receiving news of this via telegram, probably for the best now that I know what I know about viruses and disease outbreaks because there are 110,000 folks in Chicago. It was a burgeoning Midwest trade post, but they didn't have a single building to host these thousands of delegates, so they just put up this structure, which I think is called a wigwam. Um, uh, I don't know if that's an appropriate term for these days, but that's what they called it back then, and I'm sure um, Elizabeth Warren had a few of those at her family. Just kidding. I'm just teasing her. You you know I like her. Anyway, nonetheless, she was my favorite candidate uh, uh, who had claimed Native American ancestry. I also think that my ideal candidate would have been Elizabeth Warren, who'd never claimed that, but we'll get to that in a second here. Nonetheless, uh, so basically all these delegates in 1860 showed up to the wigwam and they just shouted who they wanted, and they voted uh, based on who was the loudest. And everyone expected William Seward from New York to... Um, uh, be nominated. He was kind of the head of the party. However, he fell short on the first ballot of enough shouts to become the nominee. So it went to a second ballot, something that Elizabeth Warren was probably kind of hoping for. And then uh, I was a strong second place on the first ballot. And somehow in this next ballot, I was even closer to him. And he still was short. And the third ballot, everyone had switched over from me from Ohio and, and uh, Missouri. And there I was, uh, the nominee, a common man, in Illinois, and ascended to the presidential nomination. It was, uh, it was, um, you know, a surprise, but it was also something I've been working for with some folks in the party for a few months. I'd gained some attention with my William Douglas debates, and, um, St- excuse me, Stephen Douglas debates. He would not be kindly uh, receiving of that <laughs> slip. Yes, I was... Um, uh, a lot of my debates with Stephen Douglas were published, so I gained some respect across the Republican Party, and you know, which was just the northern United States, as you may know. There actually weren't any folks from the South at the Republican Convention in 1860. Isn't that odd? It'd be like if uh, the Democratic Convention in Milwaukee only had folks from blue states there. It, anyway, um, so just to give you an idea how much divided things were back then. So anyway, and, and then I made a couple of speeches out east in order to kind of introduce myself to party leaders and gain some more coverage in the press and the media, and that did enough to get me over the top and gain the nomination. So I understand Elizabeth Warren's plan, if that was the plan, to stay in the race for that. However, I think she likely, with Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar, realized that things were getting tense and it was best to kind of uh, coalesce and consolidate this party as soon as possible for the sake of defeating the current president, Donald J. Trump, who, as I've called before, the Daybreakers president. You don't need to worry about that. Uh, if you haven't seen the Ethan Hawke film Daybreakers, it's just like all these vampires take over and people don't really care because they just keep the television going. Anyway, it's a it's a pretty good metaphor if you ask me, but no one really asked me. So... 
Uh, Elizabeth Warren was straddling the line between the progressive wing of Bernie Sanders and the more moderate conservative wing of Joe Biden. And I understand that was a great strategy. Unfortunately, it just didn't materialize itself and it didn't really earn her any votes. Uh, I expected to do much better. I think everyone did as well. And, and uh, you know, that just didn't happen. And so she bowed out of the race, unfortunately, a little bit early. She did a ton of hard work. She was known for her phrase, I have a plan for that, which I got to really admire. And I uh, really appreciate how much thought and detail she put into all of her plans. And um, nonetheless, uh, she uh, is out of the race. She was, in fact, very likable, I would say. She had a great dog. She's clearly super smart and super prepared. Uh, I just think that the party seems to be uh, internalizing this idea of who can actually beat President Trump. And I think for better or for worse, my take is that they knew that her campaign against Trump was going to be nasty because he would keep bringing up the Pocahontas stuff. And I'm not sure if that's uh, really fair or regardless, but... Uh, it was effective, and it effectively, I think, scared off voters, in my opinion. Um, I think that it can't be overstated how uh, how uh, poorly that would play in the um, Midwestern states, especially, and I think um, where fo- folks believe that that's how um, that she'd claim that heritage in order to, you know, advance her own career. And I think, regardless of whether or not that was true, it was that was. That element of it was um, debatable. I think even folks who are not in those swing states seemed wary of putting her up as the nominee in those states for those reasons. Uh, that's my personal take. So I think she was, in fact, um, uh, the perfect candidate had that not been the glaring flaw. And you have to hand it to the president. He really just zeroed in on that. And um, like he's tried to do with uh, uh, President Joe Biden and his son with this Ukraine business. But Nonetheless, I think that's why uh, that that has not hit as hard. I think it's probably because it cancels out the Hunter Biden issue is um, uh, uh, not nothing compared to all the nepotism claims you could make against the the Trump family. So anyway, this is to say that I think um, Elizabeth Warren lost a lot of votes to Joe Biden because he just seems more electable, even though he seems at times disinterested and a little overwhelmed. Um, it seems to me, if you're going to say why is he the most electable, he, he's probably because he's the most like the current president. And if that's the case, the current president is electable, so then vis-a-vis ergo, they both are electable because they share the same qualities. If that's the case, if they're so similar to one another, I could see why the Democrats would not be all excited about voting for their own version of Trump. He's not quite Bloomberg. He's not a billionaire, but I think that well, there's two arguments to be made there. One small argument is like, well, he may be also Trump, but he's our Trump. And uh, that's, I think, um, you know, there's something to be said about that. He'll be more receptive to criticism and be a little more open. And despite having some very different opinions, to say the least, throughout his career, it seems he is very open to change and willing to listen, unlike um, the current president to uh, folks on the left. He will certainly listen to anyone on the right. However, I think there's some key differences between the two of them. I think that the he at least will uh, uphold um, the rights of his constituents, including minorities, and I think he also will stand up more so for uh, climate change, uh, if you're into that kind of thing. So I think that that, that uh, it's interesting to see the party kind of shift that way uh, and, and shift away from Senator Sanders. It's... Uh, 
seems like it was over soon. A week ago, it seemed inevitable that he would be the nominee, and we were going to have a bunch of debates about what is socialism and whether it's good or not. But now it totally feels like it's over. It happened fast. I know there's still a lot of races left, but if you look ahead at these other primaries and these states coming up, they don't play to, to Senator Sanders' strengths necessarily. He's got some help in the Midwest here, but Joe Biden plays very well, and Pennsylvania is one of his own home states. And then Florida is another big prize, and that's just not going to happen for Sanders. He's very much uh, behind there. So it seems like the math's going to be difficult for him to catch up. But uh, as we learned four years ago, he probably will stick in at the race until the end. So it's going to require some um, uh, serious efforts on Joe Biden's part to make sure he gets a majority of votes before this convention. Otherwise, it goes back to the wigwam, and everyone starts shouting about their ballots. So... Uh, we shall see how things uh, work. Another thing to consider is I wonder if this if coronavirus gets really bad, that it'll affect uh, voting turnouts in different places. People are afraid to go out into public. I mean, people already are not thrilled about voting in the first place, so there's that at least. So anyhow, uh, that's kind of the state of the race. It comes down to those two things. I am disappointed Elizabeth Warren didn't do better. I expected her to do better. I hope she had done better. I do think that was the issue, and that's kind of what happened with her. Um, but uh, of course, I might have my own biases, and some short-sighted. I am a, um, a person from the mid-19th century, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, so here we go. We're down to the final two, Joe Biden and uh, uh, Bernie Sanders. Maybe on the coming podcast, we'll get some different guests who can speak to either either side and we'll go back and forth because it seems like this is going to go on for a while and we'll have time to make up our own mind so you know we have that critical 15 minutes with lincoln endorsement that we've yet to yet to make we've sat on it for a bit so we could be the kind of deciding unifying factor here at the end um so uh anyway that wraps it up here for the podcast i um hope everyone is out there staying safe and avoiding all of the germs not even like a single one. We'll be back next week. I think we'll keep with the similar arrangement where uh, Timothy and I will be in quarantine. Hopefully he uh, will be a little more interested in doing the podcast. Right now he seems a little sick of me. Uh, and uh, I'd rather him be sick of me than, you know, sick with the virus. So uh, there it is. If you have any questions for the podcast, feel free to email us at 15 minutes with Lincoln. That's numerical 15 minutes with Lincoln at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be back next week. If you have any recommendations for topics or guests, feel free, as always, to reach out to us on any of the social media channels, which is, again, the darkest thing I've ever experienced was social media. And I have buried two sons. Well, I'll see ya.